0: Welcome to the season one finale of Ask Anything, presented by Mosher Consulting. I'm your host, Angel Leon, Mosher's HR advisor. In this week's episode, we're going to go over some of our favorite clips from our first season. From Debbie Chilling in our Women in Tech episode, to Ty Mosher's advice during our 25-year anniversary for Mosher Consulting episode, to a pancake conversation that you cannot miss. We gloss over some of our favorite clips from our first season. We enjoy pulling these together, and I think you will enjoy listening to them again. Of course, we would love it if you would go back and listen to our first season and enjoy each episode. Producer Brian is with me today to help me navigate these clips. Brian, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. Like you said, this was a lot of fun. I thought we had some really good guests over the course of season one. And, you know, having never really done this before, either of us, I enjoy going back to the older episodes and seeing us knocking the rough edges off, learning lessons, applying them, and look forward to doing more of the same in season two. Our goal is to keep getting better. And so far, so good, I think.
0: Absolutely. I, I agree. We had a lot of fun putting this season together. And we had some very great guests in our first season. So we hope to bring some of those backs, bring some new ones in for season two, some newer people that are that we're going to be talking about throughout that season. So stay tuned for that.
1: Yeah. Season two is going to cover, we'll start back in July uh through the end of the year. So, you know, some of our more popular fun episodes that we did in season one, we're going to bring those back, you know, towards the end of the year. We'll be doing a tech gifts episode again. I'm sure that one was very well received. That was a lot of fun to talk through mm-hmm. and assemble. And uh, man, it really helped me fill out my Christmas list. I don't know about you, but
0: absolutely. No, and, and you know what? As we were putting putting this episode together, it got me thinking about future episodes for next season and season two. And I, for some reason, Thanksgiving came to mind. Like, what's a Thanksgiving look like for tech people? So I, I don't know. Maybe that's an idea that might we might think about or work on in the future, but there are so many things that we could go over in our season two, but we've got plenty of stuff that we get to talk about today about season one. So let's get right to it.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, real quick, I think just even different Thanksgiving traditions that our consultants mm. and our families have, I think uh, would be really fun to delve into. So yeah, duly noted, writing that down for our uh, our season <laughs> one recap meeting Slash season two planning. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. See, we're already planning. See, we
0: we haven't even finished recording this episode. We're already planning for season
1: two. (laughs) You cannot stop us, everyone. You can only hope to contain us.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. So we definitely have some more in store for all of you. But today it's all about season one. So we're gonna go over some of our clips that we have, some of the fun conversations that we had. I know I have a list of people and conversations that I had over the course of the year that were very interesting to me. I took a lot of information in, I learned a lot from these folks and I hope you did too. So that's why we definitely invite you to go back and listen to some of our episodes from season one.
1: Yeah, if you hear one of these clips and you really like, oh man, that's a great point. I guarantee you, it is not the only one that the person we were interviewing made during that show. So if you hear something that really piques your interest, absolutely go back and check out that full episode. There will be other things for you to enjoy in it. I guarantee it.
0: Yeah, one of the, one of the episodes that I really enjoyed doing uh, was one of our early episodes. Uh, and it was with, our, uh, with two of our guests from our managed services team. Uh, we were talking about disaster recovery.
1: Most popular, most clicked on. Everybody wants to hear horror stories of bad things that have happened to other people who are not us so that we can avoid it in the future.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that title, though. I mean, Man of Services Part 2, this after recovery and backups, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't after you.
1: (laughs) I'm not above cribbing a lyric from an early Nirvana song. Uh, And I'm sure they got it from somewhere else and probably pulled it from a novel or a piece of literature that I'm completely forgetting about. But yeah, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. It's awesome and awful because it's true.
0: <laughs> I, I agree. But, but really delving into the episode, I mean, there was a lot of good information there, not just for you know, your organization type, but really for you as an individual at home with the, with the tips that Jim and Chad gave us during that episode. I mean, talking about disaster recovery, the different things that you can do at home to protect your own tech.
1: And we even got into some of that during their first appearance with another great title, Spam, Scams, and Sabotage, Tales of Adventure from the IT Help Desk. Uh, we were really hitting home runs when we titled the Managed Services uh, appearances. <laughs> so here are some clips from those episodes.
2: Uh, treat everything with a huge dose of skepticism is the number one rule. Because as Jim said, as we get more savvy and trying to block and screen these things, the hackers and the fishers are also getting more savvy and they adapt to what we do and then we adapt to what they do. So it's sort of this vicious cycle, but self-protection and uh, a little bit of uh, common sense will help go a long way. And we've had to train users on that because... People are already intimidated a little bit in the tech space. Gone are the days of sort of the 80s, 90s, where people pictured an IT professional sitting in his mom's basement in, in a dark room tapping on a keyboard with Mountain Dew. The job is customer relationships and customer service, and that's where IT in general has, has shifted focus from you know the nerd in the dark to somebody who you can relate to and communicate
3: to.
0: A lot of times uh, when, you know, when we look at, you know, clients that, you know, kind of would justify getting them kind of what I would call cloud ready is we look at their spend. Okay, what are you spending today? What's your environment look like? How old is it? And what what are you doing to maintain? What are you spending to maintain that?
2: Disaster really doesn't mean getting hit by a tornado at your data center. Yeah, that can happen. Disaster means your servers got ransomware on it. And what are we going to do about it? How's that affect our customers? How's that affect our employees?
1: You can't let your guard down. I mean, there's so many people after everything all the time. Eternal vigilance is the price of peace. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and that's and that's obviously one of the one of the downsides of uh, IT in general. but also uh, another conversation that I really enjoyed early on was with uh, Marcus Reed, who you just heard last week um, in our next last episode where uh, we talked about agile and just how agile can help you and your organization, grow further, develop better processes in general. So just, I had a lot of fun talking about that, talking about radical transparency, increasing autonomy, mastery and purpose within your organization. You name it, go back, listen to that episode because Marcus does drop a lot of great clips.
1: Yep, yeah, and um, like just points per game (laughs) to uh to give an analogy i mean marcus came in off the bench for us he played like a solid 12 like 12 minutes off the bench for asking anything i think he dropped like 150 points had 300 rebounds 75 steals 482 assists it was just these are hall of fame numbers that he was dropping and a lot of times actually every time after an episode i go back and i'm doing the edit and like oh i have to mark pieces like oh we could share that this is a clip that could be used for social media we can this is a good point this is a great uh, little piece of interesting intel that we shared that can be used to promote and that episode it was like i just highlighted the entire thing yeah <laughs> so like it wasn't a chance. like oh what can we share out of this for a best of episode that one particularly with marcus it was like all right which of these things that i marked should we share? I mean, it's a clip show. I can't share the entire 36 minutes, but I no. highly recommend people go back and listen to all of it. It was a really good episode. It's, one, it's definitely one of my favorites.
3: Medical transparency is the idea that anybody can know anything that they want to know to help them do their job better, to help contextualize their work, to facilitate other people's success. And it is not strictly an agile thing, but trying to do agile without it can be challenging and introducing it without introducing at least some other agile concepts can be pretty disruptive. People will start asking to be more collaborative when, when everybody's won the information lottery, we're all information millionaires, nobody's fighting over information or hoarding information. What becomes valuable is the output itself, the value we create and that lends itself naturally in an environment with radical transparency um, to teamwork. There's a concept called Chesterton's Fence that says, um, it was G.K. Chesterton. He said, mm-hmm. don't ever take a fence down unless you know exactly why it was put up. That makes a lot of sense in a farm or a factory. It does not make a lot of sense in the 21st century. American economy. Human beings all have one thing in common, one thing that makes us different from other animals. You know, physically, it's long distance running. Socially, it's like family and tribal groups. And then the other like survival mechanism that we've evolved into intellectually is pattern recognition, right? Mm -hmm. So suddenly... Patterns emerge when you have access to all this information. What's going on here? Are we Are we doing the same thing over and over again? Are we doing the same thing in different ways, right? What are some other ways of doing it? Other things that come out of that are global optimizations rather than local optimizations. Mm-hmm. So you might have, I mentioned it just now, well, you do it one way, we do the same thing a different way. Okay, well, you've been living in a cloistered part of this organization, as have we, right? And so we've locally optimized, but that drains resources from the company that maybe we don't need to be draining. Well, you need those tools and we need these tools. We can start to create a global optimization where the whole thing is running seamlessly, right? If you imagine an assembly line for a moment, mm-hmm. if you get the assembly line perfect, but the warehouse isn't working right, or the trucks aren't running, what's the point, right? right. So if those, are, if those are each being locally optimized... And that we're not thinking about global optimization, then we're doing ourselves a disservice. Everybody talks about innovation. Everybody wants more innovation. It's kind of hard to say exactly what we mean when we say that, though, right? It's an overused yeah. term. If you, you know, like some companies I've been, I've been lucky enough to work with, if you have innovation days or if you follow the 80-20 rule and give everybody 20% of their time for stuff that they want to work on, and, but you don't have radical transparency, The innovations are going to be pretty goofy a lot of the the time, right? Mm -hmm. They're not going to be particularly valuable. With radical transparency, and we can, as an individual, and working together with a team, talking about this stuff, we start to see patterns. We start to see opportunities for global optimization. Mm -hmm. We start to see something really interesting and cool that somebody else is doing and build off that. And so the things that we start asking for, start creating for ourselves to make our work better to make our work lives better, have meaning, have specific purpose. Mm -hmm. That's when innovation becomes valuable.
0: Yeah, Marcus definitely dropped in a performance for the ages there. And he followed up very nicely in last week's episode too. Um, I got to say for that one, I mean, just, uh, I got to say in general, one of the reasons why we created this podcast, it was so we can bring IT to the masses, but we can also bring it for you at home to understand it, you know, in layman's terms. And I think Marcus in that episode did a great job and just kind of going over what agile is and that radical transparency and what that is and how that can affect organizations. But it's easy that someone in HR like me can sit here and talk to him about it and understand it because you can apply that knowledge to many other aspects of, of a working environment. environment. I'm sorry. It doesn't have to just be IT.
1: Another guest that we had that I very much enjoyed listening to pretty much the entire episode was, was, as you mentioned in the introduction, Debbie Schilling. Um, Mm. Like I said, when we were talking before we started recording, I really like pieces of advice that you can stitch on a pillow or print on a (laughs) mug. I really like little nuggets of truth and I expect my throw pillow with things that can't be aren't stitched on it to arrive any day.
0: Well, just in general, I mean, her conversation about women in tech and how that's evolved over the years and the progress that she saw throughout her career, you know, starting with. And one thing that really highlighted her conversation for me was the point that she made, how they took her to a conference and everybody over there thought she was there just to show props um, that she wasn't, you know, the expert that she was in her field and so those little things, those experiences that she shared with us, just made that conversation feel so, so good. And just how much information we gained from her was
4: just outstanding. I learned a phrase long ago in my career that really has been helpful. Things that can't be aren't. And what that means is if you, you're looking at a problem, you're like, well, that just can't be. Well, then it isn't. It isn't. What is it instead that is making it appear to be that way? And, you know, it's, it's a really powerful phrase if you stop and look at the problem and then start stepping back. I've known a lot of great women in tech throughout my career, and the numbers have improved quite a bit since I entered the field, but they're still not where they should be. But that said, I think the attitudes toward women have improved quite a bit since I first started out. I remember going to trade shows in the 80s and having people assume that I was there to attract people to the booth rather than to provide tech support for software that I had written. Um, I was told that my ideas would be more palatable to senior management if they were presented by a man. Um, And I heard, you don't look like a programmer quite a lot. Um, I still haven't come up with a snappy comeback to that, (laughs) but um, it's, you know, it sounds like a compliment, but it's kind of an implied put down as well. You know, oh, you're a woman, you can't be a programmer. Um, but women in tech really aren't a novelty anymore. You know, we're good at what we do. We're taken more seriously. We're now more visible in positions of power. Uh, networks are better. Mentoring is better. So it's, it's a good time for women in tech and it's definitely improving.
1: Yeah. And after working with her, with her uh, for s- several years, just seeing someone as intelligent, as personable, uh, as, as sharp all around as Debbie is it's very not confusing how she was able to succeed. I mean, it's very, it's very apparent.
0: Yeah, no, if you, if you listen to that conversation, you could hear how she navigated all throughout those years and how she developed herself as a IT professional, as a human being and how she basically managed to lift herself up. Um, You know, the talk about the mentors, uh, whether it was men or, or women. I mean, we, we hit, we hit that uh, high in that conversation too, where she's talking. It doesn't really matter if it's a man or a woman, as long as it's somebody that gives you purpose, that's giving you that little to, you know to continue to get over the hump. That just speaks volumes. Again, not just in IT in general, but it can be applied to many other things in your life. So Debbie was a great guest to have.
1: Yeah. And when you are a beneficiary, of that information and that, that grace, that, that kind of hand up, uh, it's, it's important to then not hoard it. As she pointed out, you gotta turn around and you find out like, all right, where are the people? I found my mentors. I got people who helped me get where I am. Now that I'm here, I'm gonna keep progressing. I'm gonna keep learning. I'm gonna keep growing. But part of that growth, that learning and that progression is helping others get where they want to go too and that's an important flex point in anybody's career you know you get to a certain level and you know you can't keep both hands on the ladder and keep mm-hmm. pulling yourself higher and higher without turning around reaching up and grabbing somebody else and helping to lift them too that's that shows maturity that shows character and that shows that you are ready you know to progress even further in your career because at that point helping other people is really the only way you're going to progress in your career.
0: Right. And, and speaking of leaders and, and something, and someone that we actually had was of course uh time Mosier, the leader of our company who he had a line and I know we have it in the clips that we're going to put in this episode about making mistakes and making amends for those mistakes.
5: Sometimes making mistakes is, is how we learn. Uh, we try to make the best decisions with the information, we have available. Uh, many times you start down the road on something and things happen to where you you need to make some decisions and maybe, you know, I call it making a course correction. But if you have a pulse on initiatives and can make minor adjustments, a lot of times you can quickly adapt and, uh, you know, either save the amount of time you're putting into something or the amount of money you're spending and, uh, and really come out On the other side of of kind of what you had dreamed of
0: um that he's obviously talking about business and and how to develop your business and how to learn from the mistakes that you put down you know that you have on your business but obviously that again you can apply it anywhere else those kinds of that kind of advice that you get from somebody who's been in a business for a little bit over 25 years with his own business and prior to that working in the private sector as well those nuggets you're going to find in that 25 year anniversary for Mosier uh, episode that we did with Ty Mosier.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you start out in your career, you don't know that you're making, like, you don't know what you're doing is a mistake. And you get that experience. You have that under your belt. You're like, okay, I have, I've been through this. The next step is like, all right, identifying a mistake before you make it instead of like, oh yeah, that thing that I already did, that was a mistake. So you progress to identifying a mistake before you make it. And then you progress to uh, helping other people fix their mistakes. And then finally to helping other people avoid those mistakes, whether they're ones you've made or, you know, just are familiar because they're adjacent. Like it's not the same thing that I did, but it's close enough that I can tell you, you don't want to do that. (laughs) And,
0: And you go into that value of learning from your mistakes. And it also shows that you're not afraid to change whether that's in this case a business strategy or you know a simple change that you need to make to something that you're doing because it at the end of the day what you want to be is successful and if you have mistakes if you have those little roadblocks it's all it has to come down to is how much you want it how much you want to go over that little roadblock and i think ty expressed that uh beautifully in his in his episode as well
1: yeah. I think one of the underlying points that he was making too, was if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. You're not re- you're not reaching far enough. You have to make mistakes sometimes. Otherwise you're not going to grow as far or as fast as you could. Otherwise, if you all, if you're always playing it safe, if you're always kind of just, well, if you don't try to run every once in a while, you're not going to get as far as you would otherwise, even if, even if you stumble, even if you fall, if you're running most of the time instead of walking, you will wind up farther down the path. And it might be a case of where what you're doing isn't a mistake or hasn't been a mistake, but if you continue to do what you've been doing too long, it evolves into a mistake. Uh, for example, when Ty was talking about interviewing literally everyone who was hired at Mosure, at a certain point, him spending that amount of time on that task would have been a mistake. And he talked about you know, the need to pivot and the need to change the way they had been doing things basically since the beginning. And that change was good. Not changing would have been a mistake. But he also talked about, you know, what he looked for, the qualities that he valued in a potential employee when he was doing the interviewing. And I found that really interesting to learn what Ty looked for when he was searching for and talking to uh, new potential Mosher employees.
5: Up until six or eight years ago, uh, I interviewed every single person uh, before they started here. You know, we got too large and, and our hiring velocity was too great for me to do that all the time. So uh, when I interviewed uh, personally, I made sure that obviously they, they have to fit technically. They're technically sound and have expertise. They fit our culture where we work hard, but we also value uh, work-life balance. And above all that, they are problem solvers. You know, the IT, the technology industry changes pretty rapidly. And, um, you know, the ability to, to solve problems and uh, adapt and, and learn new things is, is really key. I look for people that are put the customer first and uh, be consultative uh, in, in that being able to provide thought leadership and, uh, and helping the customer achieve uh, their goals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And to continue along these lines of our favorite conversations, I think one of the favorite conversations that you, you know, speaking on your behalf, I'm, I'm going to try that. You please tell me if I'm wrong, but I think you're going to say that I'm right. One of our favorite conversations this season was also with Dr. Collada Berry and, and our conversation about diversity in STEM. We learned so much from Dr. Berry that I wish we could have her back and I know we're going to try really hard to do something again with her because her, her conversation was so inspirational. She brought so much information and just to see how the different um, organizations that she's working with, you know, Blacks in STEM, Blacks and robotic, I mean, that, all of that and much, much more uh, you're going to find in that episode, which just, by the way, go listen to it because she names her robots.
1: Yeah. Always, always name your robot. And she said in a follow-up, always name your car. You got to name, you got to name the machines in your life.
6: I'll tell you about my robots. I do name my robots. Um, (laughs) My daughter, ever since she got out of the Elmo phase has always been Mario and Luigi crazy. So I have several Mario and Luigi robots, but as the years go by, I like to say, I have robot graveyards on campus of me when I, whenever the robots die and we get new ones, I have robots named after the Simpsons. Because I, ha- I have to come up with something. I have robots named after Star Wars characters. I have robots named after um, oh, what are the the Transformers? So, but my favorite robots right now is I decided to make that a diversity initiative as well. So the robots my students currently use are all named after women and black robotic researchers. So like Dr. Ayana Howard at Georgia Tech, Dr. Robin Murphy, Dr. Selma Sabanovic. These are women in robotics or black people in robotics. And I tell my students, who's your robot named after? That's their first assignment is they have to go Google and find out who that person is. And this is one way for them to learn about other roboticists like Maya Matarek, you know? So Kismet, I also named them after famous research robots like Kismet is a, is a famous um, research robot. I have a big dog robot that's named after that um, The company that keeps making the robots that people kick and they walk on the ice. And, so I am also using my robots to teach them about other things in the field beyond RTD2, which is wonderful.
1: It's very easy to see why she isn't so in demand as a speaker, as a presenter, Mm -hmm. as an expert in her field. We were really lucky to get her. And that was evident from the first second of the interview through the final second of the interview. And I really do, as you said, hope that we are lucky enough to get to talk to her again in the future. She was fantastic. She is she fantastic. Was. She is fantastic.
6: One <laughs> thing I found is robotics is a great hook for everyone from nine to 99. Everyone gets excited about a robot because robots are cool. So if I want to diversify STEM, I can use the robot as a tool to do that. So although I think robotics is cool, I think one of the greatest things about it is the fact that robots are multidisciplinary. I can show people math, science, physics, coding, human-robot interaction, social psychology, social science. Wow. All of that is somewhere in the robotics field, right? So you tell me what you're interested in and I talk to you about what about robotics you might be interested in doing.
0: she just won a Mira Award? I mean she's amazing. She's amazing to talk to. She has so much to share. And if you go back and listen to this episode, you, you're here, her passion for what she does, not just for STEM, but for the causes that she's for obviously Um, and everything that she does, she just provides you with such a passion. It's just, Oh, just unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Just uh, Dr. Barry, if you're listening, remember, we were fans before you had that Mira clout. Now, I mean, Hope to talk to you again in the future. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And another conversation that I had a lot of fun with was uh, with Estelle Liesek, uh one of our newer consultants here at Mosher. She talked about IT automation and what that can do for you. That was really fun to uh, to learn about IT automation in general. I mean, there was a lot of in that conversation that I wasn't really aware because again, I work in HR. I'm not uh, so much of a tech guy, but um, it is interesting to hear The experiences that Estelle brought to the table and the different things that you can do in IT automation, whether that's for your big organization or for smaller organizations, how much IT automation can do for you?
1: Yeah, like not having a lot of that in my background. You know, the point that she made about if things are running smoothly in your business, that's the perfect time to introduce automation because you can take those repetitive processes that come up again and again and automate them and then that frees up your people to do other things. Without that in my background, like when she made that point I'm like, "Oh, that's yeah, of course. Yes. Like things are running smoothly, but you can make them even faster, even better and free up your people for more dynamic, more impactful tasks that need their attention by bringing in IT automation." So yeah, that was a gr- that was a really good episode.
7: The fact that your operations are working just fine is the very reason to do automation because we can't automate anything that's not working. All right, so a couple of reasons why you really need to consider automation. First, automation will increase the effectiveness of your organization and increase productivity level. It will optimize your performance. You know, with automation, your employees can now spend less time on tasks that once required hours to complete. And mm. this is important, not just because the automation can do this sometimes, many tasks in a fraction of time, but it also just shrinks the chances of human errors. You know, employees who complete repetitive tasks often get bored. I do. When I start doing very repetitive tasks, I get bored. Mm-hmm. And when employees get bored, They're more prone to make mistakes.
1: And if I may, an episode that I know you very much enjoyed, a conversation I know still brings a sparkle to your eye, was our travel episode. Anytime you get to talk about your homeland, (laughs) anytime you get to talk about the island paradise of Puerto Rico, you're ready to do it. And that was was a good conversation. That entire episode was like, okay, I I need to go to there. I need to go there. I need to go there. All right, but I got a lot of places I need to go.
0: (laughs) No, absolutely. You you hit it. Uh, the, you hit the nail right over the head. Of course, when talking about my native homeland of Puerto Rico, I get really excited. Um, and again, as we did in that episode, we invite you to go visit down there. I mean, it's an excellent place to go on vacation. Like we said, you don't need a passport. All you need is your driver's license. Please do consult with the Puerto Rican tourism company for any uh, you know travel related related, uh, specifically with COVID going on. But that episode was so much fun. From of course that conversation with Jennifer about Puerto Rico, but Cherry's conversation about the national parks, uh, the Sedona piece, uh, and that's where you're going to find about uh, that's where you're going to find out about that pancake conversation. You need to listen to that. That is very important.
4: The views are absolutely stunning. So that was one of the little gems. There's a lot of gems in Arizona. So I could talk about it for a long time, but. We love Sedona, you can go shopping there. So somebody who likes to shop, you can go to the history, you can go hiking, we took air balloons. And then that's a good oh. spot to bounce off to everywhere else. And then also you gotta have breakfast at the coffee pot. That thing's an institution. I think they've got a hundred different ways to make pancakes or something like that. I can't remember. Wow. It was just, it's just, it's wonderful and it's been there for over 50 years. I don't know how long it's been there, but we visited as a child. We visited it as an adult, and it's still there. So, hey,
1: pancakes. Is, I, guess, I mean, Brian, um, I just wanted to jump in real quick and and mention that I have at least a hundred ways to eat pancakes. So that would. Be- <laughs> 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 no.
0: I was going to say that pancakes. I mean, that's right up my alley. <laughs> but then you know, uh, Mark's conversation about Italy and his experiences in Italy that reinforce who he was and reinforce his religion. I mean, again, just a beautiful conversation with Mark about that. So please go to that episode, listen to where tech guys like to go on vacation. We discuss a lot of different topics too before we get to our guests. So um, go to that. You're gonna enjoy it, trust us. We talk a lot about beaches, so. Yeah,
1: and I'm pretty (laughs) sure that we've said Puerto Rico enough that my friend Leah, who is in charge of Discover Puerto Rico, uh, lives there now and is head of their tourism is probably going to wind up finding this episode just via, <laughs> via web crawling. So something, some algorithm is going to point her to to us because we've now said Puerto Rico about thirty times. So hi, yeah, Leah.
0: We gotta we gotta got hashtag that episode Puerto Rico so that we can get on there on the map. So <laughs> moving on a little bit from the conversations, I we wanted to touch a little bit on the process of making the podcast on what it is that we're doing how we do it in the background um producer brian of course as you know he's our producer he does a lot of the cutting the editing uh for the show but there's a lot more that goes on just you know than what you hear here so for lack of a better term um so let's talk a little bit about that um i've always been a fan of podcasting to be honest i've always wanted to do one Uh, whether that's uh, as a guest or as a host. I just have to say that I found this to be one of the best experiences of my life. I like the preparation, the speaking with the guests beforehand, obviously the conversation during, and even that what happens afterwards, because after we basically stop recording, we still talk a little bit to our guests. And, you know, sometimes we have to hit that record button back because they give us a little bit more of information that oh hey we can use that can yeah. we can you repeat that <laughs> one more one
1: more nugget let me hit record again and we'll drop I'll drop that in because that was great yeah that that's happened quite a few times and while we're talking about the process uh, shout out to Mosher's marketing manager Melinda mm-hmm. Louder for helping you know wrangle guests identify guests get in Mm -hmm. contact with them, uh, helps with scheduling. Melinda's doing a lot of work in the background uh, and it is greatly appreciated because uh, otherwise it's just going to be on hell and I talking. And, you know, that's good for a couple episodes a season to recap, but nobody wants (laughs) to hear me all the time, especially me.
0: No, no, absolutely not. And and like you mentioned, I mean, we say that in passing, you know, wrangling guests and trying to get them in. Let's just say that that doesn't go unnoticed um, at least from our side, because that's a difficult task to do. And, If you're out there and you're planning on doing something like this, or you do something like this already, you know what we're talking about, especially to get people to talk, you know, when people are not used to, you hear all these podcasts and you hear all these great guests. Some of those people have already some sort of background in in speaking and things like that. I would say 90% of the people we interviewed this year, maybe even more, don't have a, a background on speaking. They just, we had to sit them down before the episode to try to calm the waters down and try to explain how it is that we do what's the format and then once we have the episode if you listen closely you'll hear some nervousness i mean it doesn't come across that often but once we get through those first you know four or five minutes people start settling down and even i have to admit the first few episodes um and brian can attest to this i was a train you know just going hundred miles per hour trying to speak and I, this was my first, my first experience doing this. I mean, I took a radio class probably 25 years ago when, when I was uh, right out of high school because I wanted to be a DJ on the radio. But I never thought I was going to be doing this, you know, 25 years later. Now, some of the things I learned there kind of helped me and I've stopped using so many ums, ahs, and ahs. But, um, but as Producer Brian can tell you, I was a train going, a bullet train going 100 miles per hour talking And sometimes I still do it and he still has to like ram me back So hold hold on. But those are the things that, you know, as you go, you start learning and developing and you start doing them less and less. And then when you get somebody in, you make them comfortable. You make that guest comfortable with you. You make that guest comfortable with all of us on the call because unfortunately, because COVID, we've had to do these via Zoom. So Zoom's been our, our medium for now, but we have a nice studio that once we can get back, Hopefully we're going to do these in person and they're going to sound, you know, and feel it's going to be different. That might bring a little bit more, you know, nervousness for me when we start doing those because then we're going to be in person, but who knows?
1: Yeah. The fact that we've been doing them over zoom has been, it's been a blessing and it's been a challenge just because we can still do them. We don't, we, without being, you know, we can socially distance, uh, we can talk to people who are virtually anywhere in the world, as long as we can get it scheduled. And maybe we'll look into doing that. At some point in the future maybe season two season three we'll get some international some international yes. calls going but yeah it's the the zoom meeting and by the way not sponsored by zoom it's just who we've been yeah. using um, <laughs> we've said them almost as much as we've said puerto rico in this episode <laughs> but that's what we've been using and crosstalk over the microphones there's a little bit of a delay sometimes that can be a challenge but uh, if you just sit back, relax, and one of the things that's been nice to see over the course of season one has been, you were comfortable conversing from the start. It was, uh, you know, it's one of the things that made you a really good choice for host, but I've watched you become even more comfortable, not just with co- the conversation, but with the, the openings and the, the, the wrap-ups and just all of the extra duties that come into play when you are the host
0: yeah, no, thank you. It's It's been a process, obviously, like Brian says, um, it hasn't been easy at times because, again, we're using this medium that, you know, you can get a bad connection sometime, you know, somebody might be caught off because their internet connection went down for like a second or two. So those challenges, you don't necessarily get them when you're doing these in person because you have another medium of recording. We have different equipment that we can record with, as some of you might know out there. But, Hopefully in the near future, we're going to be having these in person. They're going to be a little bit different. There's not going to be, as Brian said, that difference in in recording, you know, that sort of playback uh, issues, but hopefully we will be doing video too. Who knows? We're thinking about many things, uh, many mediums. We want to grow. We want to grow the podcast, obviously. Um, So we are trying to do our best to keep giving you guys content out there so you guys can continue enjoying it.
1: And speaking of content, this is kind of where we're wrapping up our conversation. We do have a couple of clips that we didn't get to in our discussion, and I want to make sure I include them. They're from Lou Russell and her episode on IT leadership about customer service and reputation management, how important they are and how they go hand in hand, really. So here's Lou Russell.
6: If everyone is coding, no one is influencing the customer. So eventually the customer will leave. And even worse, the bad reputation of that business spreads like wildfire. And in in our area here, in Indianapolis area, you know, it doesn't take long for everybody to know who's playing straight and who is not, right? And they'll just go somewhere else. Customers don't want code. They could care less what the code looks like. What they really want is solutions. They want a solution. They don't want drama. They just want, you know, their problem to go away. They don't want to be lectured with technical terms that nobody remembers what they mean. They want to know what's happening in my project and why do I have to keep asking you? Why aren't you telling me?
0: Thank you for listening in to this week's edition of Ask He Anything presented by Mosher Consulting. We hope you enjoyed listening to our favorite clips from season one. Please remember to give us a rating and subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts. Ask He Anything will be back for our second season starting in July. Stay tuned for that and much more. We'd like to thank those of you who have listened in during our first season. We really appreciate your time with us, and we hope that you come back when we return for season two. For Producer Brian and Mosher's marketing team, I am Angel León. So long, everybody.
7: Go.